Welcome to another podcast episode of DIY Guitar Making. I also produce video episodes of DIY Guitar Making live in the workshop. To find both the podcasts and the videos all in one place, go to DIYGuitarMaking.com. You can even subscribe to the email list there to receive new episodes, both the videos and the podcasts, directly in your inbox as they come out. Again, that's DIYGuitarMaking.com. And with that, let's get to the show. Hey guys, this is just a special note for the listener, particularly if you are listening to this podcast soon after it has come out. I am adding the old Q&A episodes that are normally on my DIY guitar making YouTube channel. I am adding those to the library of the podcast, starting from the earliest Q&A until I'm, I work my way up to the current day, in which case then... As new Q&As come out, they will be loaded to both the podcast and the YouTube channel and my website. So anyway, all of this is just to say, if you're listening to this soon after it came out, some of the uh, sort of promotional things that I mentioned about the online courses and the workshops and things like that might be out of date. If you want current information on that, just go to my website, ericschaferguitars.com. Welcome back to DIY Guitar Making at Eric Schaefer Guitars. My name is Eric Schaefer, and today I'm going to be answering your questions. I have a question about carbon fiber inserts and how they work with truss rods. A question about finding intonation on instruments with a variety of scale lengths. A very good question on how to hide fractures and splits that aren't immediately apparent, but show themselves later in the build process, particularly when you're starting to apply finish. I have a question about building your own thickness sander. And finally, I have a job opportunity for repair techs and new builders in the Chicago area. If you have a question that you'd like to see in a future episode, just write your question in the comments on YouTube. So let's get right into it. Now the first question I have is in reference to the last video that I posted, which was titled, How a Truss Rod Actually Works, and that video just kind of shows you the internal mechanics of what's actually going on when you're making adjustments to your truss rod. Uh, this question is from Walter Ryder, and Walter writes, Now I understand the truss rod way better, but carbon fiber inserts beside truss rods? How does that work? Okay, Walter, so I haven't used carbon fiber inserts with a truss rod, or I haven't used carbon fiber inserts at all, but the way that I've always understood carbon fiber inserts, they're first and foremost there to prevent neck twisting, which is less common of a problem than just a forward bow or a back bow on a neck. Neck twisting would be, say, for example, when you sight down the neck and you notice that it's straight on the, on the one side, but on the opposite side, you can see there's a dip. That would mean the neck itself has twisted. Again, it's less common, but it is a problem when it does happen, and it's a problem that the truss rod can't solve. So just to use this as an example, uh, this is actually a piece of ebony, and it's not as long as it as the neck, so just ignore that for now. And imagine this is as long as the neck, and that it's a carbon fiber rod. This would go on this side of the truss rod, and on this side of the truss rod. And so essentially what you're doing is, with these reinforcements, 
the truss rod itself included, you are covering a larger portion of the width of the neck. Rather than just having a thin reinforcement down the center, you have three different reinforcements going laterally or creating support laterally across the neck as well, which will prevent that, you know, from twisting. So in short, I'd say having those carbon fiber inserts is a good thing. I haven't done it, but um, I've always been a fan of the concept. Just don't expect that to keep the neck from moving at all. And that's why we still have an adjustable truss rod in there as well. The next question is from Temsu Kabul, and he's asking about intonation. He writes, Hello, I have been repairing and making guitars for around two years, mostly working on flat-top acoustic guitars. Your YouTube channel has been really helpful, as I am a self-taught guitar maker. I really want to improve my guitar making skills, but as of now, I don't have the resources to take formal lessons as I can't afford it. Plus, being in Northeast India, there are no such institutions where I can learn guitar making traits. I would be grateful if you could give me some ideas on finding intonation regardless of any scale length. This would really help me further my skills. So first of all, Temsu, let me say I feel for you. I think that's a shame that there's no institute or place hosting a workshop or anything like that in your area. In fact, when I got this question, I looked it up just to see for myself because I thought I'd seen a listing for a guitar building workshop in India. It was in Goa, India which is on the western coast. Someone was running a, I think it was like a 15-day workshop. And I checked that listing today, and apparently the link takes you somewhere else. So it's, it's a dead link. I'd assume that, I guess it doesn't exist anymore, which is a shame because there's so many great guitar makers coming out of India. I'm actually surprised that nobody's teaching out there. You can also look at that on the positive side as that's a big opportunity for any guitar makers in that area to get into something like that and start teaching week-long or two-week workshops or something like that. So now on to your question about intonation regardless of the size of the instrument. To find the most optimal location for the breakpoint of each string on the saddle, we need to first understand that there is no perfect intonation, only a most optimal intonation. We aren't creating a piano, we're creating a fretted stringed instrument, and fretted stringed instruments have inherent limitations. The goal in properly intonating an instrument is to account for these limitations by adding a small amount of length to each string. We call this added length compensation. The amount of compensation that we use depends on a number of factors which include the intended action of the string, the diameter of the string's core, the material of the string core, and that material's elasticity. What I really want to do is just point you towards an excellent resource for understanding and calculating intonation on anything that you want to calculate it on. I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but luitoyamotolo.com. That's L-I-U-T-A-I-O-M-O-T-T-O-L-A dot com. Um, there is an absolutely excellent bridge saddle compensation calculator. In fact, even easier, just Google bridge saddle compensation calculator, and you'll find this magnificent page where you fill out these different parameters for the instrument you plan on building, and it will calculate that intonation line on top of that the page is full of explanations for just understanding these various calculations so that you're not simply relying on the output of 
the calculator that they have on their site, and you're actually understanding the process itself. Uh, Stu Mac also has an intonation calculator. I think LMI has one. There's a whole bunch of them online, but this one I think is just the best. So luetoyamotolo.com. So the next question is from the members forum. The members forum is a private forum for members of the online guitar building school course, Building an OM Acoustic. So if you sign up for that course, just know that you're also getting access to this private forum. So Zen Young Ho in the forum writes, Dear Eric, I was wondering if you have a solution for this. As we are building guitars, occasionally we come across some cracks in the back slash sides of the wood. Sometimes we really can't see it until the very last minute. And then he's listing out the two types of cracks, I guess, that he has here. He has one, fracture cracks, which are very fine, which are a very fine line of cracks in the wood, which doesn't show up until finish is applied. And two, cracks which appear after the body is made. I had attempted to repair these cracks with water-thin CA glue, medium viscosity CA glue, tight bond, epoxy, and even furniture wood glue, as in contact adhesive. Nothing seems to work extremely well. The cracks may have disappeared for a while after the repair, but buffing seems to bring back the cracks occasionally. What is your experience in terms of this repair? How would you normally approach them? Okay, so this is a tough one because what I would do is going to vary based on the stage of the build that I'm on, the species of the wood that I'm using, and the nature of the fracture itself. And also keep in mind that in some cases, I'm just unable to make a fracture line disappear completely. But it can always be good enough that you can't find it unless you're looking for it. So first, let's talk about the stage of the build. If you catch it early on, specifically before you've attached the bracing or assembled the body, then you have a good chance of making it invisible. What I do is I load the plate into the joining board the same way that you would load it if you were joining the plates, and I tap it into place. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check out my video on joining the plates. So I use the joining board to apply inward pressure on the plates at that fracture, and at that fracture I make sure that I have weights placed around it so that it doesn't buckle up. Then I wick water-thin CA glue into the crack, or you can use tight bond in a pipette and squeeze that into the crack before you apply the weights and tap it into place. Either way, whether you use CA glue or tight bond, having that pressure from the joining board is really going to close up that crack tight. By the way, this works really great for fractures where the mating edges still mate together perfectly. If those mating edges are damaged in any way, then you're going to have somewhat of a visible repair there. Now, if you have a plate like this, where the bracing is already installed, you can't use the joining board to create that inward pressure. On top of that, the radius of the plate is kind of flexing. It's kind of flexing the crack open if you have a crack. Here, you just have to be a little bit creative. And like I said, it's going to vary depending on the wood species and the nature of the split that you have. The idea here is often not to make the crack disappear completely, but to make it appear to be just a natural part of the character of that wood. With dark woods like rosewood and walnut, this can actually be really easy. What you can do is make some fine ebony dust with 220 grit sandpaper, and then just gently rub that ebony dust into the cracks. You want to be careful with uh, very porous woods. Then you would wick in water-thin CA glue over your 
crack and ebony dust fill. Don't use accelerator and then sand the whole thing back. This usually works really well on any wood that has dark grain lines or banding like rosewood. It wouldn't work as well on this. This is Tasmanian blackwood. Um, sometimes Tasmanian blackwood can be fairly dark and it can work better. But in this case, the ebony trick might not work as well as, say, the next thing I'm going to talk about. Because what you're doing with the ebony trick is you're really tricking the viewer of that guitar into thinking that the ebony dust fill is just a natural part of the character of that wood. Just like this dark line is here, or this one over here, or this little smudge here. That's all a natural part of the wood. Now on some woods that, say, the ebony dust fill isn't going to work as well on, I'll do it a little bit differently, and I'll drop some CA glue on the area, and then immediately sand it before the glue dries, and this creates a slurry of CA glue and wood dust. So there's no ebony dust here, just the dust of the wood itself. This only works well in certain species and in certain situations, so you just have to experiment with scrap a little bit to figure it out. Now in some rare cases, I've had splits that were right near the edge, like say, right about here. And it's a little risky, but I'll actually cut this whole piece off, sand the edge perfectly flat, and then using a piece of scrap that is a seamless match for the grain in this area, I'll sand that piece perfectly flat on its mating edge, and then glue that in with water-thin CA glue. This works really well on very homogeneous looking woods, like sapelli or mahogany, because it's just really easy to find a good grain match on those types of woods. By the way, for super glue repairs, you should really consider attaching a cleat on the underside, at least for long fractures of like two inches or more. Keep in mind that some woods are just much more prone to splitting than other woods. And if it seriously impacts the quality of your work or your workflow, it might be a good idea to just consider not using those woods. And so you sent me three different pictures of three different woods where you're experiencing this problem. And on one of the pictures, the picture of the paddock, the cracks were somehow running across the grain. I don't know why you would be having cracks running across the grain, but unfortunately there's really not much you can do about that. At least in my experience, any kind of cross grain damage is going to be virtually impossible to make it look good. If anybody has a different opinion on that, please let us know. But I'm going to say that you probably should simply figure out why you're getting that cross grain damage and prevent it from happening in the future. So get back to me, Zen, on that paddock and let me know what's happening. I'd really like to know. And the next question I have is also from the members forum. Brian Flynn writes, is there a particular set of drum sander plans you folks like? I have found several. I'm looking for something basic, similar to the one used in the thickness top and back video. So what he's referencing is a video in the online course where I refer to a link for the Pat Hawley sander. And I don't know if here he's just asking for that link to that set of plans or if he's just asking other people if they have alternate plans to that one. I kind of think it's the latter. I think he's asking for those alternate plans. But I'm going to go ahead and give that link for those plans here again, just because I think it would be really useful for anyone out there who's looking for an alternative to either a planer or purchasing a drum sander. 
Building a drum sander yourself is actually a lot easier than it might seem. And with drum sanders starting at around a grand, it isn't a bad idea and it isn't a bad investment to take the time to build your own drum sander. So the Pat Hawley drum sander is what I recommend. Um, it was super easy to build. I built it a long time ago, probably six years ago, and I still use it very regularly today, and it holds up great. The plans were very easy, by the way, easy to follow. Um, the investment was probably $400 or less in materials, including the motor, which I got used. And lastly, I have a job opportunity in the Chicago area from Nate at DemontGuitars.com. I don't usually do this, but I got this email this morning, and I don't actually know Nate or DeMont Guitars, but it just looked like a good opportunity for a repair tech or a new builder looking for some experience. Do keep in mind that it looks like it's an electric guitar thing. I know a lot of you guys are obviously follow me for acoustic guitar building uh, information and advice, but you could still learn a lot from this kind of opportunity depending on your skill level. Anyway, just to spread the word out to you guys, I'll read what Nate has to say about it. Okay, Nate says, We have a few small companies run here outside of Chicago in Oswego, Illinois, DeMont Guitars, Guillotone, and Ukulele Threads. We have two buildings slash units, including a small store slash showroom, offices, a dedicated workshop with full mill, wood CNC mill, small laser, and small engraver. We both manufacture electric guitars as well as do general repairs, setups, and custom work. We have a backlog of several hundred guitars of our own which need to be set up or repaired for sale and a continual workflow of customer work. Likewise, we need to continue making our own guitars on a regular basis. Our lumber is milled from local trees as we have a full-sized portable mill, processing equipment, and drying kiln. We do also make some parts for other guitar companies such as Nex. Currently, we have around five employees, and the round is in brackets. I'm not sure why. Um, I, I don't know if you just don't know how many employees you have. Do you have four and a half employees, and you think maybe five? I don't know. Anyway, it's just kind of funny. In an employee, we need someone who is already fully able to do most any guitar repair and setup and troubleshoot, and be able to quality control all of our items in a timely fashion, and be able to teach other employees the same skills. The job would mainly be working on guitars all day. The workshop is semi-climate controlled, but usually pretty hot with fans in the summer. There would be opportunities to design parts, use CNC machines, mill lumber, or generally do just about anything a business can do, if the employee wanted. Or if they would just like to stay at the bench and work on guitars all day, that is completely possible. Guillotone was Japan's first electric guitar manufacturer, which we now own and continue to work with in Japan. Currently, we set up plans with a major distributor in Japan, and they're also working on new items, which we manufacture, to be sold both in Japan and the U.S. Growth for us has been fast, but we are unable to keep up with demand without enough competent repair techs. The pay would be $12 an hour on $10.99 as a contract employee. We offer emergency room insurance at a low cost, but no major coverage. Also, life insurance and investment plans. Cost of living in Oswego is much less than Chicago. It's a great town with a mix of just about any store you need, but also farmland just a street over. Our plan is to continue to grow with the help of a new employee who will hopefully gain more benefits and compensation as we can afford. In the same fashion, we hope for them to become a lead team member. Nate DeMont. 
Okay, Nate, well, there you have it. Uh, Just spreading the word out for anyone who might be interested in an opportunity to learn, uh, get some experience, and make some money while doing it. If you enjoyed this and you learned something here, please subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform that you are enjoying this on at the moment. And if you want to really learn more, take one of my structured online courses at ericschaferguitars.com. Or you can register for a hands-on guitar building workshop here with me in Burnville, Pennsylvania. Bye for now.